California plans to stop the sale of gasoline-driven cars. California turns off electric vehicle chargers because the grid well, just can't support them. And the madness spreads to other states. If this were a movie, we'd be walking out demanding a refund for such insane plot lines. But this is not a movie. And your voice of sanity is Dan Newman. We need another voice, maybe two, maybe three. We need your voice. We need all of us to join together and speak up against this insanity in which has been foisted on us by this big, heavyweight Democrat Congress in cahoots with a Democrat in the White House. I got to be honest with you. When um, the election results from 2020, when they began to roll out the next day after the election, you know, nine o'clock on election night, Donald Trump had a pretty significant lead across the country, and it was almost certain he was going to have a second term. And by the way, I still think he will if he runs. But it took through the night for the Democrats to do whatever they did. Yeah, I'm one of those realists. I believe five states that were manipulated, 2,000 Mules, the documentary, it just, it just lays out a couple of states the specific details, I mean details of what happened, details with video of it actually happening, all of that. I believe those five states' votes that were changed during the night made the difference. That's behind us now. We're pressing forward. We have been for two years. We will for the next two years. But in November, folks, we've got to change the plot just a little bit. We have a chance... And by the way, President Biden on the campaign trail speaking to some Democrats last night, he basically admitted it looks like the Democrats are toast in Congress in the elections for the House and the Senate in November. He'll still be the president. He'll be in the White House, but he'll be finally being held accountable for his decisions and the actions that he's taken. I don't know if the Republicans can undo all of the damage that has been done during his first 20 months now as president. I don't know if he can. I honestly don't think they can. Not all of it anyway. But they can at least stop some of the shenanigans, get the Department of Justice from being political, and just force them, force them. They won't be able to fire anybody in the Department of Justice, because that's the president's job. But what they can do with the power of money that the U.S. Congress controls, they could shut down all of these crazy operations. If, you, if you've heard about this commitment to America that the Democrats are rolling out, similar to the contract with America that uh, former House Speaker Newt Gingrich rolled out during Bill Clinton's second term, it's being presented up in Pennsylvania right now. We've got it in my, I've got it in my right ear. I'm listening to it as uh, uh, my buddy from South Louisiana, Steve Scalise, the House Whip for the Republicans. He just handed the microphone over to uh, another Republican leader that are up there with Kevin McCarthy at a plant, and they are actually rolling out the commitment to America. Uh, I'm watching online to get the actual text and they probably won't release it until after this presentation is over. But if they can get any of that, 
any of it put in place, it's going to make dramatic changes and make them quickly. I asked Congressman Mike Johnson live on this show months ago, what was the problem when um, Democrats lost control of the House in Obama's second term? Do you remember that? Everybody, we all, we just said, we've got Congress back. Barack Obama's got the White House. We control the purse. And for two years, Republicans controlled the House of Representatives, which is where all spending bills got to initiate or go through. But they didn't get anything done. I asked Mike Johnson what that was about. And here's what he said. He said, House leadership really didn't believe that Republicans are going to win that election. So they didn't have any plans in place. After the election, they had to jumpstart and get going because they hadn't put anything together, just assuming they were still going to be in the minority. He said, this time, it's not anything like that. Now, this was probably six months ago when he, he reported that to you, as a matter of fact, Congressman Mike Johnson, on this show live, And then it began to roll out just in little bits and pieces what their plans actually include. When you see and hear this, it's going to blow your mind. It's very bold, but it's very specific. And I think most Americans will love the first big point that Congressman Kevin McCarthy, who is obviously odds-on to be the next Speaker of the House, should... Republicans win control. He said the first thing they're going to do, they've already got the bill drafted. They're going to repeal 87,000 IRS agents. Think about that. 87,000. Now they say, or they said, here's why we're doing it. We're going after the ultra mega rich people that can afford to pay more money. 87,000. It takes 87,000 FBI agents, new ones, to do that. And so I started doing the math. Actually, I just went and got some numbers. There are 600 billionaires in the United States. 600 billionaires. Now, that is a lot of billionaires. I admit that. Now, please understand this. If you're a billionaire, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a billion dollars in the bank. It means your assets all rolled in have a value of a billion dollars. And nobody goes and audits those. Well, the IRS will from time to time. But that is, it includes a lot of subjective um, guesses. For instance, assets. What does that include? Factories, homes, um, equipment, all those kinds of things are part of your assets. It's not dollars and cents sitting in the bank necessarily. Although I guarantee you, 600 billionaires, they got a lot of dough and have a lot of access to a lot more dough. But do the math. Do the math. You got 600 billionaires. According to Joe Biden, these are, many of them, the guilty parties that uh, aren't paying their fair share. So we got to go get them to pay their fair share. You need 67,000 people to do that to 600 people? The way I see it, maybe take 
four or five IRS agents to go do these audits for each one of those billionaires. What are you going to do with the rest of them? You and I both know the answer. They're coming after people like me and many of you, small business owners. They're not going after the mega rich. You know why? Because the mega rich are the ones that fund the political party. They can't go after the hand that feeds to them. That would be suicide, political suicide. I'm watching, as I told you, I've been listening, and I I still, right now, I have these uh, House leadership people at this factory in Pennsylvania that are rolling it out. It's still not available, the text of it, Commitment to America, is not available. And I'm sure we'll get our hands on it before this show is over. And there are going to be some really specific things that you're going to see. I'll tell you what we will do. We will post it overnight. It will be on our website, truthnewsnet.org, sometime during the night. So just make a note to come back. If you wait till in the morning when you come back to read our Saturday bullet point offering, as you do every Saturday, it will be there as well. Any big details that come out of it between now and when we go off the air at 11 a.m. Central this morning, we'll tell you about it. I had an interesting thing happen to me yesterday. As I've told you many times, we have the ability when this show is live, we look up and there are are ways to do it. Our show is distributed and I've told several of you how this works. It's produced in our studio in Shreveport, Louisiana via high-speed internet. It's immediately transported through... um, It's not satellite transmission from Shreveport to Dallas, but it gets to Dallas very quickly, almost instantaneously. And then it's uplinked to a satellite from Dallas. The satellite and the transmission is then downloaded from the satellite in Seattle. And Broadcast Matrix is the company who distributes our show live and then at the same time the way you go get the podcast after it and places like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, oh, and so many others. Even Amazon Podcast now carries the show. That's the way they get it. But it's the show live is distributed to 92 different countries. And so the IP addresses of each of the computers that are logged in and listening to the show live, they pop up on a screen and I have access to it. I've been watching, and and we have people that listen in every one of the 50 states. And in territories, we have a strong following in New Zealand, one in Australia, throughout Central Europe, even in Russia and China. Russia, we had a huge following there until the day of the Ukrainian invasion. And then Vladimir Putin's henchmen, they turned off the ability of those, there were 800 Russians that were students at the University of Moscow, and they, per their head of the Department of International Politics, were required to listen to our show and read our stories. And they had tests on it every week. We were told that by two different students in that, uh, in that, uh, that class in the University of Moscow. They went away. He killed their feed into Russia. So we've got people all around the world, South America, Canada, listening to this show, and that's how they get it, is through Broadcast Matrix download into their towns and cities. 
There's a lot of people in this whole thing. People are hungry for good information. And I want to thank each of you for coming here to get information. We don't have it all. We never will. But we dig and we find many things that you'll never get from, and this is sad, you'll never get it from some of the big, even conservative media outlets. Why is that? There's only so much airtime. Honestly, folks, there are so many moving parts in life in the United States and around the world. Nobody can cover it all. It's impossible. And that, to be honest with you, is a tool that is being used by people that are wanting to take hard control of the entirety, or almost entirety, of the lives of everybody here in the United States. They want to control 100% of the messaging. They want to control what you see and hear, when and how you see and hear it, and then control what you're not going to be allowed to see and hear. Does that sound eerily familiar to do? I just told you the story about how Putin and his henchmen shut down the internet from the shores, not the shores, uh, but the borders of Russia to keep people from listening to certain, I don't know if it's across the board, but I do know they flipped the switch on Truth News Network, TNN Live. Do you want to live in a country that has leadership that thinks that way and that gains power and then they march to that tune? Totalitarianism is what it's called. You know what happens in a totalitarian nation? Well, their big justice, whatever they call it in their country, what they do is they listen to these pontificators at the top. I, I, I was trying not to use a curse word. So pontificators is the best thing that comes up with. You know who some pontificators are here. But what they do over there is those people that control the messaging are the only ones that are seen and heard on the news. And that's because they control who sees and who hears what and who. And those people, they're just parrots of what the message, the totalitarian message, is supposed to be. So you don't get even a, just a small fraction of information is all you get in those countries. And it has to be, and it is, exactly what they want you to see in here. This same thing happened beginning in 1932 in Germany before Nazis controlled the German government. Uh, they had this weird little small guy with a big nasty voice in the military. And he rose up through the ranks very quickly, Adolf Hitler. And he found his way through the military to get into politics. And through that avenue, he took over the government of Germany, the first things he did was take over all of the media messaging. And he did it this way. He used not a justice department. He didn't have it, but he had jackboot thugs that would go out to the media outlets. And in Germany at the time, there was very little radio. It was shortwave radio, pretty much what they had. He already controlled that, but they went to the newspapers and these thugs went into every newspaper across Germany. And they said, look, from this day forward, you will publish 
the exact stories that we give you. And for any of those newspapers that said no, they just shut them down, pretty much sent the people away or either killed the people that owned and ran those newspapers. So almost overnight, he began to control everything that was distributed to the people. Today, right now, today, we have a Department of Justice headed by Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, who is doing or attempting to do these exact same things in social segments of the United States at the behest of President Joe Biden. We give you, every time we get eyes on any specific example of this, we give it to you here at Truth News Network. We don't know how long we will be able to do that or what information we will be allowed to give to you. But Germany and what they faced that ended up in World War II and the extermination of six million people of one race just because Adolf Hitler hated that race and what they stood for? Do you realize what happened over there? It didn't start in 1940 or 41. It started back in 1932. There was a buildup to get to that point, to dumb down the German population and to get them comfortable with what was very slowly happening in their politics that became their politics united with their military. An authoritarian government, a totalitarian government, where it was top-down, the people did not matter. All they were was sources of income and other resources for this government to use however he wanted to use it. That sounds eerily familiar to what we have been warned was going to happen and what here at TNN Live we've been saying, this is out there, we're watching it closely, and we're making sure you're doing the same thing. None of this watching and looking and making certain has been happening in the first 20 months of Joe Biden's presidency. I never thought, even though I knew there would be a quick downturn to a lot of the things that were being implemented, many had been implemented already and were thriving under Donald Trump. But we knew and we were promised during the Biden campaign he was going to dismantle most of what Trump had put together. Now, why would he do that? Why would anybody do that? A smart man... And yes, I'm saying it. Joe Biden is not a smart man. He's a fairly good communicator. I've said this before. He has been in his career in the Senate for a huge part of it. He was a great speaker, an orator. But he had a problem telling the truth. In fact, just to be quite honest with you, most of the times when he opened his mouth, he didn't tell the truth. And he hadn't gotten away from that. But he told us, through the entire campaign. If I'm elected, here's what I'm going to do. And not only is he doing it, everything he told us he was going to do, he's doing it in a stronger, more egregious, louder, more visible feature than I ever thought he could. And it's worse than I thought it would be, even through four years, and it's already there in less than two 
if we don't get this congressional action pulled back into a conservative mode, by the time we get to the end of Joe Biden's first term as president, and I believe it'll be his only term, before we get there, we will be well down the road for the dismantlement of the representative republic that our forefathers created and that has been maintained through 260 years. It fundamentally will be gone. How much further down that road can we go before we hit no turning back mode? Don't know. Don't know where it is. I would say it would never happen. I said that (laughs) during the Obama-Biden eight years. It'll never happen. We'll never go back to this. But, you know, now I can't say that. I don't know if we'll be able to make the turn, but I do know this. If we don't get this midterm stuff straightened out, we're going to be way down that road towards no return. Now, there are a bunch of Democrats that are seeing the light. Democrats in mass, or they're not turning their backs on the president, but they've not gotten him involved in their campaigning in their various congressional districts around the nation. Why would that be? Normally, the sitting president, if he's a member of the same party you're in and you're running for that party's ideals for your district, You would want the president there. It's understandable. They don't want him there because they see that Americans in mass are rejecting all of these totalitarian slash authoritarian policies that Joe Biden's ramming down our throats, not through Congress, through an executive order. A big one of these switches happened yesterday. A top Democrat down in Palm Beach County, Florida, a top Democrat in a very, very Democrat part of Florida endorsed Governor Ron DeSantis for governor and said there's too much on the line during the 2022 midterms. Wow. Governor DeSantis, Democrat opponent, has called for reallocation of resources away from law enforcement. Florida cannot afford people like Charlie Crist, who wants to defund the police and make our communities less safe. That came from Dave Kerner, the commissioner of Palm Beach County, as well as its former mayor. DeSantis is running against Charlie Crist, a Democrat. Used to be an independent. Before that, he was a Republican and is the former governor of Florida. Kerner further stated his endorsement was in part at least, driven by Charlie Crist's comments that he plans to reallocate funds to instead deploy mental health professionals to assist cops on domestic violence calls. Republicans say that such a move would be akin to defunding the police, a common refrain that was used during those Black Lives Matter protests and riots, 500 of them plus, back in 2020-2021. He included a video of a press conference in which he spoke alongside DeSantis, giving the Republican governor his endorsement. Every day until November 8th, I will campaign for Governor DeSantis. And on November 8th, I will vote for Governor DeSantis. Kerner was speaking at the Police Benevolent Association in West Palm Beach. I will not remain silent. There's too much on the line in this election. 
The governor also spoke at the event, targeted the Democrats' anti-police movement. We, between now, and there are only five weeks left, we're going to see more of these um, flips from Democrat leaders because, first of all, they believe Joe Biden is now taking us down the wrong road, and they see pretty much the same thing that I just shared with you that I see here. If we don't right the ship, the ship's going to sink. And it is sinking right now. So what is President Biden doing about this? He knows that commitment to America is coming out today. So he can't just sit back there and not say anything. So what he did last night, he went to a big group of Democrat supporters. And his words that he spoke to them were parroted and picked up by a couple of conservative news sources. This is a quote from the president. If we lose control of the House and Senate, we have a different world. I'll be spending all my time with the veto pen, but it won't be a lot of initiatives. He's in New York City, fundraising trip. He spoke to donors about enormous, enormous, enormous opportunity. His three enormouses are, quote, enormous opportunity in the next few years of his presidency, but he's also setting the stage. He's going to have to hold his ground against a new Republican majority. Earlier in the month in Boston, he reminded his supporters, the party of every modern president but one lost the majority midterm election within the first two years of their presidency. Remember Barack? We lost 60-some seats, 68 to be exact. We lost 60-some House members, etc. He recalled those seats lost by Democrats in the 2010 midterm elections and the loss of six seats in the Senate. The one exception is when Republicans under George W. Bush gained eight seats in 02, gained one Senate seat in the first two years of his presidency. We're up this This election is going to be tight, very tight, he warned, doing a New York fundraiser last night. And if we lose the House and Senate, it changes the trajectory of much of what we do. He bragged of his successful two years as president, noting that he got 85% done of what he wanted to. I don't know who's keeping score. I don't know who gave him that number. But I can tell you this. More than half of what he said he got done, he did it not through the people's house or the people's state representatives, the congressional house and senate. He did it with his own pen, and he did it in many cases, many people say unconstitutionally, through executive order. That's a story for another day. What what am I talking about, what he had to say last night? What's my purpose for bringing that up? Real simple. He's preparing his big, big donors, deep pocket Democrats, and I mean really big pocket, deep pocket Democrats. He's preparing them, trying to make the fall in November be a little bit less than what they thought it might be. Again, Commitment to America is coming out today. We'll have it for you no later 
than in the morning in detail. It will be posted where you'll be able to download it at truthnewsnet.org. Senator Josh Hawley, one of my favorites, Missouri Senator. Um, I like the way he talks. I like his fundamentals. He's a great speaker, and he doesn't do lavish, grandiose speeches when he makes them. He's going to introduce legislation that puts colleges and universities on the hook for this student debt that Joe Biden says he's going to forgive. The bill is titled the Make the Universities Pay Act. The legislation will require institutions of higher education that participate in the federal direct student loan program to pay half of any student loan balance that's in default. At first blush, that may sound a little harsh, but you need to first look at the landscape of what's been going on in college education in the way of dollars and cents over the last decade. Colleges and universities have raised their tuition and other costs to students exponentially. If you look from here back, I don't know the exact number of increase dollars percentage-wise that colleges have came uh, have come from, from 10 years ago, but I know in many cases some of it has tripled and quadrupled without tripling and quadrupling what these students get for that big, big bill increase. The Make the Universities Pay Act would also allow student loan debt to be discharged in bankruptcy and allow undergraduate student loan debt to be discharged five years after the first payment is due, while graduate student loan can be discharged 15 years after the first payment is due. In addition, the bill requires each college or university of higher education participating in federal financial aid programs to publish postgraduate outcomes including mean and median earnings of graduates and student loan default rates, disaggregated by each degree or program of study. In other words, holding people that get these massive amounts of federal dollars, hold them accountable. The Biden administration is taking executive action to forgive $10,000 per borrower and the move would clear $321 billion of federal stone state student loans and clear the student debt for almost 12 million people. That's according to CNBC. Biden's also going to cancel up to $20,000 for Pell Grant recipients. That's the plan. I'm one of those people that believe it's unconstitutional. And I do know this. He's waiting to do that. He's doing it through executive order, but he's waiting to do it And he's being hesitant to do it because he knows the day he does it, when he does it, there are several cases ready to be filed in federal district court to take him on because no president has the right to do this. In fact, last year, Democrat House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on the floor of the House said almost to quote this, No president has the right to cancel any debt for anything that the Constitution allows only Congress to do. 
In other words, Joe Biden, no other president can cancel student debt. And calling it canceling student debt, that's a misnomer. It's not canceling. The debt, if this thing would come to fruition, it would just be passed on to guess who? The American taxpayers. Those people out there that they decided not to go to college because they couldn't afford it. Or they decided instead of going to college, I'm going to go out there to a trade school and become a welder or a physician's assistant or something else, something like that. Or people that went to college, they had student loans. After they got out of college, they sweated. They did without for a number of years and they paid it all back. And Joe Biden wants to let all of these people that did the opposite of what those people did and decided to go to college, borrow the big bucks, and they want somebody else to pay for it. They want the U.S. taxpayers to pay for it. So what else do we have on the table for today? Our vice president, she's all over the border stuff. I mean, all over the border stuff. Jim Jordan, he's all up in it about police money, bills. And then Stacey Abram, running for the second time for the governorship in Georgia, she came out yesterday with the most eerie and heinous allegations about the entire medical community. I've got her and what she said in a uh, appearance on a panel. It'll blow your mind. We've got all that and more. we got a busy Friday, and we're watching for that Commitment to America text. We're going to have all that for you just ahead. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gopperts from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. <gasps> We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. 
Dow. Oh, ah, are we at the gas station? Ow. Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. <laughs> Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. When a governor can tell a president, no rally in my state, it's time for some definitive truth. Here with the goods, again, Dan Newman. Congressman Mike Johnson, he, um, when he was on this show, my sound's a little bit different here. Huh. I don't think we changed anything during the, the commercial break. Oh, well. If you can hear me, let me know. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Give me a, drop me a line. Let me know if the sound's bad. Anyway. One of the other things, the other promises that uh, leadership in the Republican Party have said they will do, and it may be in this commitment to America thing that's going to be released. I doubt if they would do it, but it has to do with Hunter Biden. Congressman Mike Johnson on this show, he told us that if the House regains control by the Republicans, one of the things they're going to do is they're going to launch aggressively into what's going on and has been going on with the Hunter Biden slash Biden family syndicate that is real. Much, much, much happened there. And it has to do with a lot of people and a lot of ideals. So last night, President Biden boasted proudly that he is leading an incredible transition away from fossil fuels. But if you look back over his shoulder, just three years before he won the presidency, his family was working and they did score billions of dollars in deals helping executives in communist China get access to U.S. natural gas, oil, and energy infrastructure. Now this is according, listen to this, to internal business memos and interviews with congressional investigators, and now some new whistleblowers that have come forward. Memos from the Hudson West 3 LLC partnership. That was a partnership that Hunter Biden operated with a really prominent Chinese business executive named Gongwen Dong. Those memos show the Biden family pursued 21 major deals in 2017 and 18 for Chinese interests seeking U.S. energy assets, including liquefied natural gas export terminals like the big one in my state down in Lake Charles, Louisiana that opened just last year, LNG trade deals, drilling exploration firms, pipelines, and other key energy assets. Many of the deals that they were going after targeted assets in the Gulf Coast, Louisiana, 
aimed to help an energy-hungry China gain access to U.S. oil and gas. That's according to a summary memo of those 21 deals. The memo on a Hunter Biden laptop turned over to the FBI in 2019 and corroborated its authenticity with a Biden business associate directly familiar with the deals and memos, discussed both oil and LNG trading slash exporting opportunities. Our team was more interested in pursuing the LNG spread trading opportunities because the timing of upcoming winter peak usage season and the spiking natural gas price in China. That LNG deal and others like it never went forward, but Hunter's team chose to pivot in 2018 to other oil and gas deals that range from pipelines to drilling assets, explore U.S. natural gas industry midstream investment opportunities, including natural gas pipeline projects with international and U.S.-based financial institutions. Another goal, the memo said, explore potential investment opportunities in the petrochemical and energy production space. These, this Hudson West company, these opportunities stated in this memo, it was seeking to acquire interest in the some drilling and exploration companies like Noble Energy's parent firm that had fallen on hard times when oil and gas prices plummeted during the Trump administration. Explore potential investment opportunity in distressed international energy company affiliates, the memo read. So this firm also dabbled with the notion of getting better prices. And how were they going to do that? Targeting minority-owned energy firms that got preferential treatment in some markets because they were minority-owned. The model involves the support and nurturing of minority business and commodity brokers, and the benefit would be to gain further discount, better service terms from its oil major partners. According to evidence released by Republican Senators Charles Grassley and Ron Johnson and Representative James Comer, Hudson West 3's goal was to find deals to benefit its primary partner in Beijing, CEFC, which is or was the Chinese energy giant led by Chinese businessman Yi Jinping, who Hunter Biden met back in 2015. So how big were these deals? Massive folks, ranging from $800 million to as much as $2.8 billion. This is in a memo in that company. Comer, who is the top Republican on the House Oversight Committee and its likely chairman next year if the GOP wins control, he said Thursday night, last night, he has secured cooperation from at least two of Hunter's former business associates who have authenticated that Hunter Biden's strategy was to help China secure U.S. oil and gas interests. So, I'm going to stop there. It's, it's much more detailed than this, but you get the gist. I wanted to stop here for one reason. These memos have authenticated that Hunter's strategy was to help China secure U.S. oil and gas interests. Let me ask you this, and we're going to go away from this. Joe Biden has been bragging every day about, look what I did to bring down the price of gasoline at the pump. I tapped our strategic oil reserves 
selling oil, and dropping the price of gas at the pump for Americans. I'm a good guy. He sold 6 million barrels of our strategic oil reserves to China. You don't hear anybody talking about that. Why would he sell it to China? Why wouldn't he keep it in the United States? What difference is it, Dan? Well, I got to be honest with you. I'm one of those maybe um, conspiracy theorist MAGA people that believe China is not our partner in anything. I believe China is our enemy in everything. They are wanting to replace us in every area of our economy and our social operations as being the number one on the world. That's what their goal is. They don't want to do it the right way. They don't want to earn it. They want to blackmail it to get it or force people to turn it over to them. We're seeing that happen every day. Why If Joe Biden wasn't involved in any of this with his son, which he said he never even knew about any of Hunter Biden's business dealings, which has been proven again and again now, even though the president doubles and triples down on it, anytime he's asked about it, CBS 60 Minutes on Sunday, he denied any knowledge or involvement in any of it again. Why would he sell our oil that is supposed to be used only for the United States of America, anytime we have major events that impact any number of American people to help them get through it, selling this oil, providing them oil that they couldn't get because of a hurricane or a tornado or these massive fires out west. And he tapped it just like he and Barack did. They tapped it. And when Donald Trump came into office, and the price of oil just went way, way, way down, Thirties in the $30 a barrel. He came up with this novel idea. He went to Congress and said, hey, we need to replenish our strategic oil preserves. Why don't we do it while oil prices are so low? And they did. And here we go. Joe's depleting it again. Do you think there may be a little conflict of interest in any of that? I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure there is. Quid pro quo Joe. He never got that moniker without earning it. One of the worst and most egregious things Joe Biden did after becoming president was bring John Kerry back into his administration. And he didn't put him in his cabinet, but he made him a special presidential climate envoy. And because John Kerry's in that position, has an office, has a staff, it's fully paid for, he's paid for by the Biden administration. Nobody knows anything about it. There's no oversight of John Kerry. Nobody knows how much money's going into that office. Nobody knows where it's going. And Kerry's out there jetting around the world on your and my dollar And he's promoting this Green New Deal energy, climate change, all of the hoaxes. He praised Biden's Inflation Reduction Act. He called it, this is yesterday, he called it 
an amazing bill due to its climate-related impact. But then he acknowledged it doesn't do much for inflation, his words. (laughs) He was speaking at the International Energy Agency's Global Clean Energy Action Forum. He called the bill a completely misnamed piece of legislation. But first, he gave a different reason. We're running around saying, I support the IRA. That's tricky in politics, but here we are. He was joking. Apparently, he was talking about the IRA, which originally stands for the Irish Republican Army. Then he made the same observation as the bill's critics. I'm not sure how much it has to do with inflation, but that's okay, he said. Later, he called the bill an amazing piece of legislation for what it does for clean energy and combating climate change. Quote, the most important parts of the IRA are very simple. Production and investment tax credits. That, I think, is going to do more than almost anything else in the bill. We don't have to have government making choices about winners and losers. The marketplace is going to choose. You, inventors and investors, are going to help move that along, and we're going to get there. He said that for years he's believed the private sector is key because no government is going to solve this problem because governments governments do not have money to do it. The private sector is the entity that has the trillions of dollars. And of course, he is one of those proponents like the president that wants to go get those trillions of dollars and take it away from those evil producers of all this goods and money and products that are flooding the world market and it's not happening. We're not in control of it and we need to be because we know better than the people that are making it how it needs to be used for the betterment of everybody on earth. It's ridiculous, yeah, I know. It really is. I'm going to switch gears real quickly. I want you to hear Stacey Abrams. Now, she, of course, is running against Brian Kern. Brian Kemp, he's the incumbent governor in the state of Georgia. She ran against him the first time. She never, ever said he won the election. She has maintained from day one that she was the rightful winner, and it was taken from her by racist people, including the governor himself. No evidence. Nothing showed it. Recounts were done. Showed she lost the election. She's running again, and she is getting busted on every count, using her own words for things she's done in the past. And, of course, she's one of those pro-abortion people, abort an infant up until the time it's born. But yesterday, when um, it came out earlier this week, South Carolina U.S. Senator presented a thought, a prospect in the form of a bill to craft a nationwide law that prevents abortion after 15 weeks of gestation. Lindsey Graham's the author of that. Last night, I got to be honest with you, I had a problem with it because overturning Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court threw all of the decisions about abortion out of the federal government's purview, which there was never a law in the federal government that meant 
the U.S. Supreme Court could overturn that law or support the law because there never was a law. Roe v. Wade had nothing. The word abortion is not even the original text of the bill. All that being said, a lot of people were happy because it would go back to the states where states would individually determine the rules and regulations on abortion if they wanted to make it legal at all or make it illegal. That would not stop people from getting abortions. It did not mean no abortions in the U.S., 15 weeks after gestation, I just felt like, wait a minute, Senator. The Supreme Court just threw it back in the laps of the individual states. Isn't that what we want to do? But the point that he made was, this is not, this is not a freedom situation. This is a life and death situation. The entire American population should be able to weigh in on whether or not abortion is done in the United States. And he arbitrarily picked 15 weeks as being the point where it could be allowed up to, and he is included in it, rape, incest, health of the mother, to justify abortions up to 15 weeks. If you look at it that way, it makes sense. But I want you to listen and turn your sound up because she is talking in a panel. But I want you to listen to Stacey Abrams as she references that. And she references hearing a fetal heartbeat by doctors. Well, we begin with something you likely won't believe, but we have the audio to prove it. Stunning comments from far-left gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams that may seriously hurt her already struggling campaign. New video just emerged of Abrams speaking about abortion at an event at Morehouse College where she claims fetal heartbeats are, get this, manufactured. There is no such thing as a heartbeat at six weeks. It is a manufactured sound designed to convince people that the men have the right to take control of a woman's body. Um, well, great today. We have Dr. Nicole Sapphire. I wasn't aware that there was a conspiratorial plot among the medical industry, among doctors, OBGYNs, medical technicians, nurses, of which you are a part, presumably, because you are a doctor, where heartbeats are manufactured and what we're, we're giving patients audio files of heartbeats when they go into their prenatal appointments. I, this is absurd. It's conspiratorial. And I, I hope we hear Democrats condemn this. Well, I'm waiting to see what's going to happen on social media. I'm waiting for those warning signs for misinformation labeling because this was a flat out lie. Mm -hmm. And facts matter, especially when you're talking to people and especially when, you know, you're in politics and you're wanting people's votes. I mean, unfortunately, people are going to believe what she has to say. But uh, I'm going to just deliver the truth and point out her law is a complete lie. So at about three weeks after gestation or after conception, the heart, uh, the, the cells of the heart, the myocardium starts to rhythm contract so really the heart starts beating at three weeks mm. yes you can start seeing the heartbeat five to six weeks after conception on the ultrasound but that's only because it's so small and because of all the other structures are in the way with the pelvis but that heart is contracting very easy early on it is it is not a conspiracy it is not anything to do with what she's talking about and I think that she needs to be held accountable for the lies that are coming out of her mouth mm. she should be um, we also have Mayo Clinic here and here's what they say a baby's cardiovascular 
cardiovascular system begins developing five weeks into pregnancy or three weeks after conception. Exactly <clears throat> what Dr. Sapphire just said. The heart starts to beat shortly afterward. Um, Emily, I went to my first prenatal appointment on April 14th, 2022. It was a Thursday. My husband came with me. My daughter came with me. We saw the ultrasound. I called my husband this morning. I was like, you remember hearing the heartbeat, right? And he said, yeah, I do. And in fact, I remember you remarking, this is stunning how fast this heart is beating. We saw it on the ultrasound. We heard it, the baby's heartbeat. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Sapphire. I think it can be like 160 beats per minute. It is very quick. Um, and it wasn't an audiophile, Stacey Abrams. It was the heartbeat of the baby that is still within me. That's right. And what my takeaway of your really clear, wonderful explanation just now is that it's medical limitations that prevent us from even really yes. acknowledging or hearing or being aware of that in the beginning, that it's, it's not because it's not present, it's because of our technology and the pelvis in the way. So I think that was a, a really um, beautiful lesson that I've just taken away. You're absolutely right. And here's my problem with this whole thing, is that this is a gubernatorial candidate. This was, remember for a moment, a presidential candidate. So she's <laughs> purporting to represent the, the 10 and a half million people of Georgia, the what almost 340 million people of America. And this is the extreme view she holds this dangerous view. This it's not a view, it's a lie. I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a straight out lie. It's not backed by anything. Yeah. It, 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 it is scary that you have these candidates who are coming forth and they can just lie to the American people like that. Yeah, so okay, so let's take that and run with it. So this is a lie she's throwing out there and yet she's trying to represent all of these people. This lie vilifies men, it vilifies physicians, it vilifies rational thought and debate, and yet she's supposed to be that unifier, that representative, that person. And I think, you know, for her to, to label herself as a champion of women's rights as a voice of women, that doesn't have to be at the expense of A, lying, but B, of vilifying men and science and rational debate and everything else that she did with that one fell swoop. So to me, the, the disconnect here, the illogic, um, it really can't be overstated. It can't be. And Jackie, um, you know, Stacey Abrams was asked by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the local paper there in Georgia, what her view was on restrictions on abortion at any phase. And she said this, my support of abortion is grounded in the belief that that is not the rule, role of our government. It's not the role of lawmakers. In this country, we have a partial birth abortion ban because it was revealed, to your point, Emily, as science progressed, how heinous this practice is. It involves dismemberment of a baby partially outside of the womb. I know that's harsh to hear, but that's what it is. It's why it's banned at a federal level. She reports, she supports no legislation, right. no restrictions whatsoever, which the polling suggests most Americans disagree with. Right, there was an AP poll that came out before the Supreme Court heard the Dobbs case, and it essentially said that, um, let me see here, 61% of Americans said abortion should be legal in the first trimester. That seems to be the standard, right? 65% said it should be illegal in the second trimester. 80% said it should be illegal in the third trimester. So she is taking this extreme view, saying she supports abortion in the nine months. I think most most Americans, they don't necessarily look at the heartbeat and they agree that there is a heartbeat at six weeks, but they look at the development of the fetus. I think this is a really important issue on a state level, especially as we're heading into all of these elections now that states are deciding. And the GOP really needs to get its act together when it comes to this, to listen to what the majority of American people want, what they think is reasonable, which is possibly having an abortion up to 12 weeks. You know, six weeks may be very restrictive. And if they take that approach, what's going to happen is people like Stacey Abrams are going to get a platform to make ridiculous arguments like this and you're going to have people on the left supporting her not even you know not even realizing that it's not based in fact so what the GOP needs to do is take this issue off the table by being reasonable about it so we can focus on other things the economy 
crime, education, the border, all of the things that are plaguing this country and states right now. The takeaway for me of that whole conversation, and it's really tough to hear the short segment of that panel where Stacey Abrams made that allegation, that it's a conspiracy, that the fetal heartbeat that these sonogram experts, doctors in hospitals, in medical clinics are telling the moms-to-be and the dads-to-be that it's their baby's heartbeat. It's not. It's a scam. It's a scam from the pro-life segment of the nation to try to denigrate the necessity of keeping a baby alive. And I'm I'm struggling through this thing because I'm watching. I'm trying to download the commitment to America for you. I apologize for it. Anyway, they say it's a scam that it's really not the baby's heartbeat. The heartbeat doesn't start until much, much later. That's the point she's making, trying to justify abortion for any reason at any time, pretty much. It's stupid. It's non-medical. She has no medical background whatsoever, has no real political background other than running for office or watching other people do it. This is something as a last-ditch effort to try to save Raphael Warnock's U.S. Senate seat from the state of Georgia that Herschel Walker is running against Warnock to take. Herschel Walker is a pro-life guy. Warnock, who, by the way, is the pastor of one of the largest Baptist churches in America, and Baptist theology is pro-life. I don't know how he gets away with it in his church. Southern Baptist Convention, I'm not even sure if his church is part of that association. But they believe in no abortion. Anyway, everything. Everything has to be politicized. It has to be used as a weapon. And people in politics have mastered the art of taking real issues for everyday Americans. I don't know anybody that doesn't struggle over abortion. That conversation, when it applies to them, someone in their family, I don't think anybody just benignly walks into a doctor's office and says, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. What can we do for you today? Oh, I was, I just walked by your place and I'm pregnant and I saw you were a, uh, a clinic and I just said, hmm, I'll go ahead and come in here and get an abortion while I'm waiting to go back from lunch to work. I know that's an overstatement and exaggeration, People really struggle with it, and having facts with which to make some educated decisions, especially in this case, it's just not about the person carrying the baby. It's about the baby. Abortion is about the baby. Abortion is about the baby. It's not about the mom or the would-be mom. It's about the baby. And we have become so um, so accustomed to forgetting about the righteousness or the unrighteousness of things that 
we choose in our lives and we try to make them every decision. It's whatever I think. And if I think it, that means that's the way it is. If I want to do it, that means it's okay. And nobody else can have a say-so in it. It's called meism. It came back from the late 1900, and it's just moved forward through the last century plus of people saying, hey, everything in my life is about me. I'm the fundamental part of it all, and so therefore anything I think, desire, want, or don't want, that's the way it is. If you disagree, move on down the road. I'm right, you're wrong, just because I think this and you think opposite, you're wrong every time. And abortion falls right into that. Pro-life, pro-choice, the baby never has a choice. It's always about the mom. Speaking of um, women, choices, and decisions, Vice President Kamala Harris, she's on deck here at TNN Live right after this. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high-fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. The I'm crazy hungry, so she's got to be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-thru to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, because I don't know everything, but I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal. Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounder with cheese, 10-piece chicken McNuggets, or filet of fish, and get another for just a dollar. Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates. Now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. Vice President Kamala Harris was tapped by President Biden shortly after the inauguration in 2021 to be the border czar. That wasn't his term. It was given to her by, I think, the media. And she made it very clear almost immediately, no, 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 she's not over the border stuff. She has been charged to go handle and straighten out the sources down in Central America, the sources that incite people. 
to flood to our southern border. And of course, there's a lot of history now, 20 months of her doing nothing in that regard. Very controversial, and she's been out amongst the media folks doing something they should never let her do, and that is to speak, to answer questions. It's almost like we have a president and a vice president that can't get a sentence or two put together without stumbling through the middle of it. Yesterday, Vice President Kamala Harris, she was doing it again in an interview, and commentator Dave Rubin weighs in. Here's Kamala Harris and Dave Rubin talking about what she's saying. Would you call the border secure? I think that there is no question that we have to do what the president and I asked Congress to do is the first request we make, pass a bill to create a pathway to citizenship. The border is secure. We're going to have two million people cross this border for the first time ever. You're confident this border is secure? We have. That is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. She is so extraordinarily vapid. I am actually. Man, between her and Biden, it's like Biden doesn't know what he's saying. Come on. And will just read anything. End of quote. Repeat the line. With her, it's as if they put her out there having no knowledge of anything. And she strings together words in the most circular way to say absolutely nothing. I don't know about you, but I haven't heard anything that's solid and meaningful and vice presidential come out of Kamala Harris's mouth. In fact, the exact opposite in almost every circumstance is true. I mean, that's not a hard interview to do. Listen to it again. Would you call the border secure? I think that there is no question that we have to do what the president and I asked Congress to do. Is the first request we make, pass a bill to create a pathway to citizenship. The border is secure. We're going to have two million people cross this border for the first time ever. You're confident this border is secure? We have... That is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. She is. That is a priority for any nation, including our administration. Obviously, it's not. It's not a priority for Kamala or for Joe. Two million that we know about came in already in their administration, and we know there are many, many more. We know that there are a bunch of terrorists that have been caught coming in. We don't know how many terrorists are here scattered around the country that we didn't know about. And don't forget about the fentanyl. Forget about all the other illegal drugs that are coming across the southern border. Just talk about fentanyl. We've had caught enough fentanyl to kill every one of the 334 million Americans that are alive today. Kill them all three times over. And this is on Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's watch. On their watch, overdose from fentanyl has become the number one killer of Americans aged 18 to 45. It wasn't that way before Joe Biden became president. It wasn't that way before they threw open the southern border and said, come on down. And that's exactly what they said. What do most Americans feel about this latest going on 
taking all of the responsibility of handling these illegals that the Biden administration is ignoring and letting them come in, taking it away from the border states. The majority of Americans feel this way as of yesterday afternoon. Illegal immigrants should be sent to sanctuary cities. That's from the Rasmussen poll. Ron DeSantis sent 50 migrants last week to Martha's Vineyard, which advertises itself as a sanctuary city for illegal immigrants. And of course, that's sparked widespread backlash. This new poll suggests that ordinary Americans every day, me and yous, are actually supportive of the decision, despite the media's negative response. So what are the numbers? 51% of registered voters support sending migrants to sanctuary cities. 29% did not, 21% unsure. Another 48% strongly or somewhat approve of border state governors sending some illegal immigrants to places like New York City, Chicago, and Martha's Vineyard specifically, beating out the 38% who strongly or somewhat disapprove. This polling confirms what all Americans know to be true. The open borders policies of the Biden administration are wildly unpopular. That came from America First Legal VP and General Counsel Gene Hamilton. It also confirms the American people desire immigration enforcement at our border that is at least as effective as what the elites in Martha's Vineyard have, where illegal aliens are promptly deported within 24 hours of getting there. They actually, even though they're a sanctuary city, when these, it wasn't 50, it was actually only 48, 48 immigrants land at the airport there, Martha's Vineyard, where it is flooded, 17,000 full-time residents goes, the number goes to over 200,000 during the summer. Everybody's left the island of Martha's Vineyard and garden back, so they're down to 17,000. There was plenty of room to house these 48 people, and they just went crazy. We saw interviews with people, their hair was on fire. We can't do this. We're not a... We're not equipped for this. I wanted to say 183,000 people just left here a few weeks ago. I think there are a few rooms in which you could put a few, like 48 a few people in for a little while. They said, no, they got the National Guard to take them off Martha's Vineyard to Cape Cod to a military base. Most respondents thought places like Martha's Vineyard were inconsistent. 63 people, 63% saying it was hypocritical for sanctuary cities to complain about migrants being sent there. 61% of likely voters thought it was fair to say that cartels had more control over the southern border than the U.S. government. 60% thought the government's failure to control the southern border is a bigger problem than border states sending migrants to places like Martha's Vineyard. The poll polled 1,200 registered voters with a margin of error of twenty of 2.8%. Just thought I'd throw that out there. And, of course, then you have the brain surgeon of the House of Representatives, the bartender from New York City, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She has another spin on it. In a speech yesterday, citing the burdens of capitalism, 
Now, I got to be honest with you. I've lived my entire life as a capitalist. I grew up in it. I loved the capitalist idea. I was challenged as a young man. I was excited to grow up in a nation where I could become anything I wanted to become if I was willing to put in the time, the education, preparation, and the chutzpah to go do it. No other country on earth would give me the same opportunities as I was given here just because I was here. AOC issued her defense of unfettered immigration in a post, an Instagram post, saying young people simply can't afford children in this evil economic system, capitalism. There are quite a few countries that are really struggling because young people under the burdens of capitalism and living in a society that is increasingly concentrating wealth among the rich, we're not having kids, or we're not having kids at the same rate, she said. And we actually need immigrant populations to help balance things out. We can't continue to fund Social Security, Medicare, all of this stuff without immigrants. And it's always been that way. Don't act like this is some new trend, anything like that, she said. She issued her passionate defense of immigration right after she said that migrants are a blessing as rent exponentially rises in her own district. What a lot of Republican politicians fail to understand is that not everyone shares their zero-sum scarcity mindset. Many of us understand that immigrants and refugees are a blessing. They have so much to offer our country, and much of our growth as a nation is because of them. And she said that after Ron DeSantis shipped those 48 migrants up to Martha's Vineyard. Shout out to Massachusetts and the people of Martha's Vineyard for showing the world what the best of America looks like. Yeah, right. Hey, we're a sanctuary city. Bring them up here. We bring 48 of them up there. They go crazy. They call the National Guard and get them 24 hours later to get these evil immigrants off our island. The massive wave of new customers has helped spice the value of real estate, apartment rents, and the cost of new houses, especially in areas where well-to-do Americans flee from the arrival of diverse populations. A 2017 report by the Cato Institute says the cost of illegal immigration could be reduced by cutting spending on border enforcement. If the typical illegal immigrant increases the value of all housing unit prices by 11.5 cents, then illegal immigrants increase nationwide housing value by about $1 trillion, the report added. That, I don't even understand. First of all, they can't possibly have that information. The cost of illegal immigration, the Cato Institute says, could be reduced by cutting spending on border enforcement? Yeah. Yeah, right. 100,000 Americans died because of the illegal drugs that came over with them. 600,000 felony criminal acts in two years committed against residents of Texas by illegal immigrants. Every crime from the bottom petty theft all the way up to the top first-degree murder. And the Cato Institute says 
if the, if the typical illegal immigrant increases the value of housing units by 11 and a half cents, then illegal immigrants increase nationwide housing values by about a trillion dollars. <laughs> I know she's insane. She has no knowledge of capitalism. She went to and graduated from Boston University. And actually, I think her degree is in economics. I, I don't get that from some of the stuff she comes up with. But nevertheless, she comes up with it. Kudos to her for graduating from university. We've got something that I, I struggled with bringing it to you today. But I thought it was important to everybody know what's going on because this applies to the United States Air Force Academy. The United States Air Force Academy. Our military, one of our premier military academies. That means we own and we spend all the money that this, uh, this entity has to take to operate and what they do. It's up in Colorado, gorgeous campus, Colorado Springs. It's an amazing part of the U.S. Our United States Air Force Academy in Colorado is encouraging cadets to apply for a fellowship program for gender minorities that specifies cisgender men need not apply. Cisgender men need not apply. Now, I think I know what cisgender means. But before I tell you, before we get into this, I, I just said, hey, I'll cisgender. Let's see what it means according to the definition. Identifying as having a gender that corresponds to the sex one has been assigned at birth, not transgender, or of relating to disgender people, identifying with or experiencing a gender the same as one's biological sex, or that is affirmed by society being both male gendered and male sexed. So you got it? That's what and who this Air Force program is being geared for. Encouraging cadets to apply for a fellowship program for gender minorities that specifies cisgender men need not apply. In other words, if you identify as a man, and oh, by the way, biologically, your sex was determined to be that you were a man at birth, don't even bother to apply. They sent this email out on September 14th informing cadets that the 2023 application for the Brooke Owens Fellowship for Undergraduate Women and Gender Minorities Interested in Aerospace is due by October 10th. The application on the fellowship's website says, if you are a cisgender man, this program isn't for you. If you happen to be a cisgender woman, a transgender woman, non-binary, agender, bigender, two-spirit, demigender, gender fluid, gender queer, or another form of gender minority, this program is for you. <laughs> I, I got to be honest with you. What they tell me now, what the stats tell me now, if you're a cisgender man, you are in the minority. Women outnumber us to start off with 
if you figure just the biological perspective. But then if you've got a bunch of men that they don't identify as cisgender, hey, hey, hey. (laughs) If you are a cisgender man, this program isn't for you. This is in the memo. But we encourage you to check out our spinoff programs, the Patty Grace Smith Fellowship and the Matthew Isikos Fellowship Program. The Air Force email said the Brooke Owens Fellowship is a nine-week paid internship at a leading aerospace company and that any undergraduate who is a woman or gender minority is welcome to apply. Another nine-week paid internship mentioned in the email, the Patty Grace Smith Fellowship, is only available for black cadets pursuing aerospace careers. The email was forwarded to one news agency from a concerned cadet who requested anonymity in order to avoid retaliatory measures or professional repercussions. The cadet alleged the U.S. Air Force is hyper-focused on diversity and inclusion instead of the military threats the country faces. Now, how do any people figure out that this email that went out in any way is inclusive. It's exactly the opposite. It's sexist and it's racist at the same time. And it's illegal. I'm just saying it's illegal. The Air Force is a publicly owned university. The Air Force itself is owned by the American people. And our government does not, according to the U.S. Constitution, have the right to discriminate against anybody. And this whole thing, it discriminates against me. And I'm offended. I know I'm 69 years old, but I was considering going back to school, to college, and was thinking about the Air Force Academy. And I've got a friend a good friend who's a member of the House of Representatives right here in my city. He has an appointment to make to a military academy this year. And I was thinking about getting Congressman Johnson to appoint me. And I was thinking about going back to the Air Force and getting involved in this particular area of Air Force. And now I can't do it because I'm being discriminated against because I'm cisgender. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm repenting now. I'm sorry for being a cisgender male. I know I'm out of step with the rest of the world and I'm acting illiterate because I don't agree with the facts, the biological facts that anybody can identify as anybody or anything. I even thought about, instead of going back to college, looking for a career on a farm so maybe I could learn how to be a pig. I pretty much am well down the road on having the biological part of the pig, you know, the fat part. (laughs) I'm not making fun of people. I'm making fun of this idiocy. Who in this world has the time to sit down and figure all these things out. I'm not a stupid person. I should know what all of these uh, non-biological things are. I mean, when when I read you from that email, 
If you are a cisgender woman, a transgender woman, non-binary, and my understanding of them stops after non-binary, agender, bigender, two-spirit, demigender, gender fluid, gender queer, or another form of gender minority, demigender. That sounds like something to do with cooking. Just for grins, let me see what demigender means. D-E-M-I-G-E-N-D-E-R. Let's see here. Let's see if Webster says it. It's thinking. <laughs> okay. Demigender. Demigender is an umbrella term for non-binary gender identities that feel a partial but not full connection to a particular gender. Anyone can be demigender regardless of what gender they were assigned at birth, and demigender individuals may identify as another gender in combination with their demigender identity. Demigender is derived from the prefix demi, meaning half. I just read you the definition, and I still don't get it. All that that should be is somebody wants to be a gender that they're not. As a joke, when I was in college, I mean, that's a long time ago, when I was in college, it was a joke to say, hey, I'm a lesbian. I love women. <laughs> I know, Dan, you're going to get in trouble. You need to shut up. Well, guess what is happening in the world of social giants, big tech folks today? Mark Zuckerberg has been hit with legal complaints over alleged attempts to influence the 2020 election. Zuck, his wife, and three voting rights groups were hit Thursday with legal complaints alleging malfeasance related to activities surrounding the 2020 election. The Center for Renewing America, CRA, filed two complaints, the first against Zuck and his wife Priscilla, and the second against the group Center for Tech and Civic Life, Center for Election Innovation and Research, and National Voted Home Institute with the Internal Revenue Service. The complaints obtained by Fox Business allege Zuckerberg and the three groups were part of a scheme to inject nearly a half billion dollars into the 2020 election for the specific purpose of throwing it to President Biden. Of course, Biden ultimately defeated Donald Trump, winning key swing states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. In every one of those states, by the way, there is pending litigation against people that were involved in this, it's already been proven there was massive voting irregularity. These are the five swing states. Arizona's already been proven. Georgia, it's already been proven. Michigan, it's been proven. Pennsylvania, it's been proven. And Wisconsin, all five of them. There was voting irregularity in those five states. But you can't say that. Democrats will call you out. It's public record, folks. They don't want anybody to know about it. And most of the news agencies, they don't want to talk about it because that would maybe mean Donald Trump was right. Oh, my gosh, we can't go down that path. 
Zuckerberg hired former Obama campaign manager David Fluff to spearhead the effort. Now, this is according to the lawsuit. Fluff allegedly funneled most of the $100 million grants from the couple to Democrat-leaning jurisdictions in these swing states via the three tax-exempt voting rights groups ahead of the November 2020 election. And by the way, there's an IRS regulation that says if it's a 501c3 tax-free organization, they are expressly prohibited from giving money or any kind of support in political stuff. But that doesn't matter. It's Mark Zuckerberg. It's Facebook, you know. It's beyond disgraceful to imagine federal taxpayers subsidizing the partisan preferences of billionaires who easily could have given to a Democratic super PAC in 2020. But of course, then they would not have been able to take a tax deduction, so they disguised the political nature of their donations, shuffled them through charitable intermediaries, making ordinary Americans foot the bill. The CRA noted that federal law prohibits individuals from making donations intended to illegitimately aid one political party over another. The complaint said the IRS must deny any personal income tax exemptions collected by Zuckerberg and his wife for their donations to these 501c3s during the 2020 election cycle. The CRA also requested the IRS terminate those tax exemptions of all three of those groups. We leave to the service to determine whether there is enough evidence to sustain a criminal investigation into Mr. Zuckerberg or his wife Chan for tax fraud. Nevertheless, at the very least, it's incumbent upon the IRS to recoup what is likely a false tax deduction on a roughly $100 million order of magnitude, an unlawful taxpayer subsidy running to support Democrat electioneering purposes. But if you listen to Joe Biden, you got to whisper it. There was not enough vote manipulation in 2020 to change the outcome. That's not a whisper, but I think that's as close as I can get to it. Interesting. All this is coming out very quietly. You don't hear this. You don't hear this on mainstream media. You just don't do it. I told you at the top of the show, Jim Jordan is back today and his hair's on fire. He trashes Democrat legislation on the House floor. And I just wanted you to hear the firebrand from Ohio just go nuts. The chairman just said that the Democrats have always been, I think the direct quote was equitable equitable funding for law enforcement. That's interesting because just two years ago, here's what the chairman said, June of 2020. There should be substantial cuts to police budgets. I don't know how you can be for always be for something and then just two years ago say, so I don't know how you can say you've always been for something and two years ago you said that you weren't, but that just seems what Democrats are up to today. Let's, let's call this package of bills before us today exactly what it is. It's an election year ploy from Democrats to try to look like they care about funding law enforcement. In the wake of radical left-wing efforts to defund the police, it's no surprise that violent crime is on the rise in America. Every major urban area has seen a huge uptick in violent crime. It should also be no surprise that, that Democrats are now trying to run and hide from their radical ideas and dangerous rhetoric. 
For more than two years, we've seen violent crime surge all across the country, particularly in Democrat-run cities, while many of those same Democrats not only advocated for defunding police departments, but they did it. They cut them. Now the Democrats want to use federal tax dollars to paper over the problems they created in their local Democrat-run cities. But these bills do nothing to solve the underlying problem. They simply create more grant programs within the bureaucracy of the federal government. Under current law, there are already grants available to law enforcement to hire personnel. In fact, last year, the Justice Department awarded more than $139 million in grant dollars through the Office of Community-Oriented Policing Services. That money provided funds to 183 law enforcement agencies and allowed, to, let, allowed them to hire more than 1,000 additional officers. We don't need more federal grants so Democrat-run cities can then divert taxpayer money to fund their woke agenda. What we need is prosecutors who are willing to prosecute crimes and jurisdictions with laws that actually keep violent criminals in prison. Nothing in these bills prevent jurisdictions that choose to defund their police from receiving these grant funds. In fact, when Judiciary Republicans offered an amendment to preclude jurisdictions that defunded their police from receiving grant funds, the Democrats rejected it. And they rejected it unanimously. Faced with an election just over a month away, House Democrats now want to pretend they actually support law enforcement. The timing of this bill should tell you all you need to know about where Democrat priorities are. Democrats who are in full control of this body have had two years to show their support for law enforcement. Only now, only now when faced with an impending election, are Democrats beginning to feign support for our men and women in the blue. Democrats could have shown their support for law enforcement. Instead, Democrats passed bills to infringe on American Second Amendment rights, legalize marijuana, further empower the Biden Justice Department to spy on concerned parents. These bills are just another admission by Democrats that the defund the police movement is wrong and irresponsible. Perhaps, the Democrats weren't in a cleanup mode after their irresponsible embrace of defund the police rhetoric, the Judiciary Committee could have had an opportunity to consider and improve most of these bills before they came to the floor. But we didn't. And instead, Democrats are rushing to consider these, these bills to give themselves some pretense that they support funding the police. No one's fooled. Americans know where Democrats really stand. Americans aren't buying the Democrats' revisionist history. They've seen years of Democrats embracing and supporting the radical defund the police movement. Americans know that the Democrats are the party of soaring crime and defunding the, the police. I urge opposition and reserve the balance of our time. Isn't it amazing that the factuality of things that were promised by Democrats, by Joe Biden when he was running for president, when all of the riots were going on back in 2020, the pretty much destruction of Minneapolis by Black Lives Matter and other rioters, other big cities across the country. Nobody wants to hold anybody that were involved in those accountable. Hardly anybody was. Billions of dollars of damage. People were actually killed. But because it happened on the left, and the left were the perpetrators, nobody wants to even talk about them, yet alone hold anybody accountable. But then you get into these substantive things, talking about legislation. And if Democrat leadership made a commitment in the past or put something out there, and it wasn't working out, it's almost the party line to when it comes to accountability, 
They want to reject or refuse that they had anything to do with it. He was talking specifically about Congressman Jerry Nadler, the chairman of this committee, who changed today or yesterday when this happened. He changed what the facts were that he promoted and enforced a couple of years ago. And it's no big deal. They just blow it off. Ah, I didn't mean that. I just said it because I was politicizing something. That's what they do. And uh, they've gotten pretty good about it. And when there's never any accountability by people in their own party, why should they not do it? You think Jim Jordan was wild? Right after this, Chip Roy from Texas, he goes nuts. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance with TNN, the Truth News Network. Long live the courageous, the tenacious, the ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good, the helping hand, those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram, proven to last. This was not just a, a regular old podcast, a uh, audio broadcast, and I could give you a chance to look into our studio, especially when we have special guests that are here, like Steve Baker, John Milkovich. Both of them have been in the studio live with us over the last few weeks. Tell you a little bit about uh, the Newmans, the Newman family, and TNN Live. We have, we've always had dogs. We're dog people. Never had cats. Marianne's allergic to cats. She, we found out many years ago when she wanted a cat and our youngest daughter wanted a cat, we got a cat and Marianne couldn't even live with it. So one of them had to go. We had a vote in the family. It was close, (laughs) but the cat got expelled. So we've been in the dog business growing up. I had dogs, only had two dogs in my life, in my young life. The the, uh, the dogs lived to be old, and uh, we wanted small dogs. So we've had a couple of Jack Russells in the last 20, 25 years. Cameron, and Cameron passed away at age 17. And then we got Harley in uh, 2006. That means she's just turned 16. And um, then we got into the Yorkshire Terrier. And we've had two Yorkshire Terriers. They are the sweetest dogs. They're little, and there's just something about little dogs, and they're cuddly. Izzy was our first Yorkshire Terrier. We got her 
fell in love with her, and we wanted another one just like her when Cameron passed away. So we actually went to the same breeder down in southeast Louisiana, and we got Izzy's niece, Olivia. So Izzy was five years older than Olivia. They were inseparable, close, best friends, together all the time. And Olivia, uh, I think she kept, because she was younger, she kept Izzy active. Izzy was a much smaller dog. She only weighed about three and a half pounds. And from the beginning, we knew she had some digestive issues. But she pushed through those, and Olivia just kept her going. They played aggressively all the time. I mean, every day, multiple times a day, you'd see them, and it looked like they were going after each other, attacking each other, biting and all that. Nobody ever barked or hollered. They were just playing as brothers and sisters do. Sadly, five months ago at age 11, Izzy passed away, and it was a horrible situation. She had uh, two massive strokes while we held her, and the second one killed her. And so it's just changed Olivia's life. Her best friend, her aunt, but best friend is gone for five months. And so what she has done is she has taken over our household and is demanding of our time. Now, Harley is 16 years old, and she is having, I guess what I would say every old dog has, just problems with her sight or hearing. She's slowed down. She's she's always been a very active dog. Jack Russell, but not so much anymore. But, and I said all that to say this. The reason I said I wish it was video. You don't know this, but every day, this entire show, Olivia is in the studio on top of the console, and she does the show with me. And I never asked her to do it. She just wants to be with mom or dad. And it just works out that way. And let me just say this about our pets. All, almost everybody has pets. It doesn't matter if it's a bird, um, a turtle, any, anything. And especially when you have pets that have outgoing personalities and you can communicate with them, they can communicate with you, and sometimes you understand it, but they want to be with you. You get close, and you really get close. I want to encourage you all. Pour yourselves into the relationships, not only with your family members, but with your pet family members. And when it comes time for them to get to the end of their life, and I know it's a very controversial subject, but putting a pet to sleep is a really dramatic experience. And uh, we've only done it one time. Never do it again. I felt so bad after we had a dog put down and she, Cameron, I'm talking about the first Jack Russell. She was 17 years old. She lost control of her bowels. She got to where she couldn't walk. She couldn't see, couldn't hear. She was just in a really bad place, really bad place. And she started having some other issues and we made the decision to put her down. I just couldn't bear to think about taking a dog's life any living creature's life. Now, that's kind of a conundrum for me. I'm from South Louisiana. I grew up hunting, principally duck hunting. I've never, never been able to shoot a deer, but I've killed everything else, not big game. 
but I'm talking about ducks, rabbits, squirrels. And in South Louisiana, my family um, wasn't a very financially successful family. And the the kudo was anything I shot and brought home, we were going to eat it. So mom was an amazing cook for a lot of reasons. But when it comes to pets, it's like a family member. We made that mistake once, we won't make it again. If it ever gets to the point where it, it really is better to put a dog out of their misery and we have to do it, I'm going to sit in the room with the dog in my lap as they breathe their last breath. And I encourage you, if you're somebody that believes in life, don't be crass. Carry that belief over about your children, any child. Abortion, that's taking a life. God is the giver of life. And God, through Mother Nature and biology, should be the taker of lives. Just put that in your peace pipe this weekend. Now, I only told that story because Olivia's sitting here looking at me. And she's an amazing companion. And she spends most of her day, every day, with me. Because when I finish the show here, I'm doing pretty much pretty much everything getting ready for the structure for the next day show. It's not something where you just turn on a microphone and start talking. There are a lot of moving parts, a lot of investigation that goes on. And uh, believe me, I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't enjoy doing it. And I love doing it. I love being a part of it and bringing you and others good information and getting your feedback. I mentioned Chip Roy. If you haven't gotten familiar with Chip Roy, congressman from Texas. You need to. He's a very, very outspoken legislator in the House of Representatives. He's a very conservative American. He lives in Texas, and so he's wrapped up in the immigration, illegal immigration stuff. And this Mar-a-Lago deal that started a, a whole new way of thinking among conservatives, followed up by this Martha's Vineyard trek that was instigated by his governor, Greg Abbott, and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and uh, the reaction that has happened across America, from Democrats specifically, Chip Roy, he just had enough on it. And he got on the floor of the House, and he just told them what he thought. Madam Speaker, much has been made in the last week over the actions of two governors, in particular Governor Greg Abbott of the state in which I live and where I'm a congressman, Texas, as well as the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. Much is being made of the fact that these governors transported certain individuals who had come to this country and were released into this country by this administration. I believe contrary to law, I believe in direct violation about the text and the spirit of the law, that they were released into this country by the thousands. So Governor Abbott of Texas, Governor DeSantis of Florida, transported some of these individuals to particular locations. Now, it was very clear that they did so in significant part to make a point. And that point is that our states are bearing the brunt of an administration's policies that are purposefully allowing our border to be 
operationally controlled by cartels to the detriment of the American people. That's what's happening. So kudos to Governor DeSantis, kudos to Governor Abbott for bringing to light a problem which is being ignored by the leftist press that refuses to bring the truth to the American people. So 50 people get transported to Martha's Vineyard and the entire wine and cheese circuit loses their collective mind. Oh no, what have you done? Oh, cries of politicization of human beings, using them as pawns. But who is it who are using these individuals as pawns? Could it be my colleagues on the other side of the aisle or the people in this administration that are leaving our border wide open such that 53 human beings died in a tractor trailer in San Antonio, which I represent? So which is it? Which is worse? 50 people being sent to Martha's Vineyard to bring attention to a problem so that all of these Americans on Martha's Vineyard could put their glass of wine down and put their cheese plate down and suddenly recognize that there are literally thousands of people being distributed into our country every single day by this government and by non-governmental organizations. Every single day. My colleagues do nothing about it, and 53 human beings died in an oven that was a tractor-trailer, and my Democratic colleagues don't say a daggum word. Nothing. But they sure say something when suddenly 50 show up to Martha's Vineyard, and then everybody gathers around for a photo op and bring some sandwiches and pat themselves on the back for their grand compassion because, oh, we're enlightened leftists in Martha's Vineyard. We love everybody. So we're going to bring sandwiches, and then we're going to call the, call the National Guard and say, haul them out of here. That's the truth. But where's everybody talking about the 53 human beings that died in that tractor trailer in San Antonio, Texas? One example of the thousands. There is a cemetery that has been created in South Texas with PVC crosses for bodies of migrants pouring across the Rio Grande and South Texas. That's what's happening to these people, getting sold into the sex trafficking trade, being abused by cartels, bodies littering ranches, dying in the Rio Grande River, dying in trucks. Here in Washington, D.C., while the mayor of D.C. complains about, oh, we're now a border city, or the city councilwoman who said, well, we don't have the infrastructure for this. Well, welcome to the party. Because that city councilwoman declared D.C. a sanctuary city. That city councilwoman called for the abolition of ICE. And prior to the individuals being delivered to D.C. by Governor Abbott, to the steps of the vice president, who's supposedly in charge of securing the border, but can't find her way to the border if you give her a map and a plane ticket to get there, 73 human beings were found in the nation's capital in a stash house right here within a couple of miles of this building, 12 of whom were kids. Where are my Democratic colleagues? Burying their head in the sand because it's not politically expedient to acknowledge that open borders results in dead migrants, dead Americans, empowerment of cartels, empowerment of China, and a danger to the American people and our national security, while almost 100 individuals associated with terrorist countries or terrorist organizations have now been apprehended coming across our border, not even dealing with the million people that were gotaways. Now, I, I've given this speech so many times, 
but I keep having to update it. I keep having to come down to the floor and talk about what's happening in Texas, what's happening to our people. Now let's talk about what's happening to Americans. The faces of the individual and the lost voices of people who have died from fentanyl. I showed these to the Secretary of Homeland Security, and he scoffed. 72,000 lost voices, 72,000 dead Americans in one year. More than we lost in the entirety of the Vietnam War. Right here. Where are my colleagues on the other side of the aisle? Where is the President of the United States? These individuals are dead. Their mamas found them in their house dying and trying to resuscitate them and they left their home in a body bag because they took a pill that was laced with fentanyl that was cooked up in the backyard of a cartel, fentanyl coming in from China, and they're dead. That's what's happening and my Democratic colleagues are nowhere to be found. You think he is a, um, a truth sayer? You think he is somebody that is um, afraid of saying what's real? <laughs> no chance of that. Hey, listen, guys. Make Friday, make Saturday, make Sunday a good three-day period for you. Spend time with your family. Enjoy each other, you men and women out there. Even you cisgender guys. And don't forget tomorrow our bullet point offering and we'll have that uh, commitment to America for you. Until Monday, we'll see you. Have a great one. Long ago And oh so far away I fell in love with you Before the second show Your guitar It sounds so sweet and clear But you're not really here It's just the radio Don't you remember you told me you loved me, baby? You said you'd be coming back this way
I really do. 